Okay, so 7 o'clock, we're going to start for everybody that's coming and joining us online. Welcome to New Freedom, welcome to Position of Neutrality. Anybody in here for the first time tonight? You guys, oh good, we do. That's awesome. I know you're here for the first time tonight, we just got you home. Good deal, and you, you were yesterday, right? Good deal, well, really welcome. Everyone really means it here. All right, so um, to everyone that just joined us online on Thanksgiving, because we get a smaller crowd here and probably a smaller crowd out there, um, what we do is we just go over what someone else wants to rather than take everything out of order. So we got a bunch of people clamoring for 12. Are we good with 12? Everyone good? All right, so we're going to take a look at step 12, and I'll just warn everybody in advance, if you've never seen this done, this may be a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended, and the primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. So what we do here is we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of AA's book, and we use AA's book, why? Yeah, the process described by the author of this book has been proven to work by addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So, the 12th step says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So this is my attempt, one of my attempts to carry this message. It's not so much about what I say, I'm not telling you what the book says, but I'm going to try and show you how I find what the book says to me and encourage you to have your experience. That makes sense, and I want you to pay attention not too much to what I'm saying, pay attention to the experience you're having. And when we share an experience in here, I'll call your attention to it, because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of the power, right? So we're in step 12 instructions, which we would find uh, in chapter working with others, and let me get there. Chapter 7, and we're going to start with a promise and a condition, maybe, maybe some promises and conditions, but see if you can find the promises and the conditions, and it helps if you're interactive with me um, to some degree, so I know if we're reaching some level of connection, okay, uh, or if I'm just standing here in the ethos doing whatever. So. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Anyone find any promise there? What is it? So, intensive work with other alcoholics works when other activities fail. Anyone find another promise in there? Other activities are going to fail. It doesn't say if they fail, it says when they fail. I've heard, you know why I call it to your attention is because that we hear things in fellowship that is not programmed. And everyone can say what they want, but if people think that because somebody's got a certain amount of digits on their chip that they have wisdom that everyone should listen to, then people can be misled. And we went from 1939 to 1955 they document a 65% efficacy. People stayed sober over 15 years. Another world war came in the middle of that. But today in behavioral health, we're significantly less than 10%. Some would say less than 5%. Because we don't even measure them 15 years to have any idea. So what we want to do is pay attention to their testimony because there are no people in the modern rooms that are the we they talk about here. Because they tell you who we is, right? Who's we? The first 100. So we want to pay attention to their testimony and find our experience in it, because other activities are going to fail, and I hear people say, well, just go into meetings and plan and parties as service work. That'll work. Well, it might work, but nothing so much ensures immunity as intensive work with other alcoholics, it works when other activities fail. Okay, and then if you read that other book, for even the Son of Man came to serve rather than to be served. Okay, all right. 
So then it says, this is our 12th suggestion, carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're very ill. So the 12th suggestion is not the selfish reason I do it. The 12th suggestion is the selfless reason I do it. I've been specifically and uniquely prepared because of my addiction, because of my encounter with God, and because I have been shown how to prepare my testimony in a fourth step, what I was like, what happened, what I'm like now. I'm uniquely qualified to relieve suffering for others similarly afflicted. Any of you discovered that? So now all of a sudden I find purpose in my suffering, and therefore it's not suffering, it's purpose. Make sense? A rearrangement of my life experience from what I thought a waste. And they talk about that. They promised that Ebby said he was taken from a scrap heap and raised to a level of life better than the best he'd ever known. If you look that up, recovered was not a medical term back then because there was no medical diagnosis. It was a mining term to take from what was thought waste and extract something infinitely valuable. Any of you had that experience when you did your step experience and then go apply some gold from your life experience that other people thought waste? Some of you are feeling that. Who's feeling that? That's, that's the power we call God. That's not happening from up here. It's happening in you. Right? Okay. So, life will take on new meaning. How many of us need life to take on new meaning from time to time? Yeah. And, and not just because we're sober. Right? Anybody been sober a while? Got up and life needed to get some meaning quick. Right? Okay. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. I'd like to call your attention to the, the, the authors agreed on every word. They sat down with a dictionary and a thesaurus, and they argued over the words. They didn't say this is a sight you must not miss. They said this is an experience you must not miss. Why do you imagine they did that? How many of you have walked into a room, saw a room full of people, for some reason were drawn to somebody, and when you spoke with them, you felt them? Hmm. We know you'll not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. Perhaps. How many of you have gone to places and encountered drinkers who did not want to recover. How many of you have gone to places where you thought people who wanted to recover would congregate and still discovered people who did not want to? How many of you have heard the story in our fellowship that we don't recover here? Don't say that. We're always recovering. I could almost believe that if it was a medical diagnosis because they don't try and cure my alcoholism. What I really have is a daily reprieve. But they weren't talking about a medical diagnosis. And this isn't our testimony in the modern rooms. This is their testimony. So they're talking about a redemption, not a cure. They're talking about a purpose for what I thought was waste. Yeah? Okay. So you can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. Why'd they say that? Because all of us start out as evangelists or reformers, and it's not that effective. Right? But remember, all of us start out that way. So don't be so hard on the new guy who just discovered some new truth. Because one thing we like to do when we get dished truth Share it with a friend. Right? Okay, so unfortunately a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent. You can learn much from them if you wish. But it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. You know what they mean though, right? The alcoholic properly armed with the facts about himself. So it's not about how you drank, how much you drank, or your... You know, it's not what it was like, not where I landed. It's about, I have this abnormal reaction 
to alcohol. How many of you are drinkers? How many of you found that when you drank alcohol, it energized you? It's a sedative. So some a medical person looking at that would think, my, that's peculiar. That may be the manifestation of an allergy. Where's my opiate addicts? How many of you got a little energy when you did that shit? You, you might have been vacuuming the prison yard, but you were active. How many of you, when you were out, found that you had Noah? And people were thought you were, he must be back on the stuff. See, that's an abnormal reaction. It's very peculiar. A medical person would call that an allergy. And anyway, so that's a fact about me. When I drink, when I do those drugs, that's what happens to me. I'm energized by it. I used to drink when I had a long drive at night so I'd make sure I didn't fall asleep. Anyone relate to me? Okay. That's an abnormal reaction. You guys are all going, yeah, I want to go for a ride with that motherfucker, right? Okay. We, go, we stay up all night. Okay. All right. So cooperate, never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to ask questions and listen, right? How many of you have found, once you start talking to the new one, or can remember when you were a new one, that once you get them talking, all you got to do is just let it come? Okay, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. How many of you have had people try and persuade you to stop doing what you were doing? Isn't that a ridiculous concept? We are not powerful enough to argue people out of drinking. When they're reasonable, because they've been persuaded by alcohol, methamphetamine, cocaine, heroin, when they're persuaded by those powerful forces to get reasonable, then we can have a dialogue about a way out. Right? Remember, we're in the world to play the role he assigns. Not, not the one I, I assign me. Okay. All right. So... They should be patient, realizing they're dealing with a sick person. I'm going to jump because I like to get over to them. We mostly meet them in fellowship rooms or this kind of a setting. So I want to start there and talk about that experience on page 91, middle of the page. It says, see your man alone if possible. How many of you have been blessed with a spiritual awakening as a result of steps? Been working with others. Okay, a good bunch of you. Good. So how do you find them? How do you see your man alone or woman? As the case may be. How do you find them? Do you get in that whole huddle that runs up with a whole bunch of instructions for them? What normally happens when you're new in recovery and you walk in a room and announce you're new? Got a sponsor yet? Or better yet, I'm your sponsor. Go buy a book. Anybody? Don't know nothing about them. Okay, so see your man alone if possible at first engage in general conversation. What's that look like? Haven't seen you here before. You work in the area? Just dropping by? Some people come to recovery their very first meeting and they look like they're on their way to the club. That was not my experience. I came, out, came looking like I just came out of a chipper. But some, anybody else? Yeah. Um, you know what a chipper is, right? <laughs> a little tore up. <laughs> After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. So that's what we're doing now. We're just chopping it up about, you know, this is what I did, this is what I was like. I'd have good intentions, just get on with my business. Then I think one wouldn't hurt. Three days later, <laughs> well, maybe I maybe I overshot the mark. Um, if he wishes to talk, let him do so. You'll thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. 
but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why did they say that? Let's ask one more question. How many of you, when you contemplate your addiction, and then when you stopped, have any idea of how that was accomplished? It's a topic I am not qualified to speak about. I can tell you who, but I can't tell you how. I did it every day, no matter what. I didn't stop unless I was locked up, chained up, passed out, did not stop. And even being in a coma seven days, got up, got rehabbed, went out and got another drink as soon as they let me out the door of the hospital. Did not stop. And then one day, pow, I encountered this man who had given me this encounter of spirit, and it never happened again. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Some of you are feeling that. So you're going back in your experience going, when did my pow happen? Because <laughs> we are people who like pow, aren't we? So we're not going to talk about things we're not qualified to talk about. I can't talk to you about how that was accomplished. But I can talk to you about who accomplished it. But I'm not going to say that till you ask. Right? Because I'm going to freak you out if I start really bearing witness and you start getting hit with power. Prematurely. <laughs> okay, so it says if he's in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you. That's what you do if they're, if they're not asking. Then let's just talk about where we've been. Let's compare notes. How many of you can remember how alone you felt? So isolated. No one could possibly know how I feel. And if they did, they couldn't possibly be in a position to help me, because people that feel like I feel never get out. Right? So we're going to talk about that, because we do know those depths, don't we? Okay? So it says, it says, if his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades and get him to tell some of his. So how many of you have humorous stories? All of us, if we're honest, have humorous stories, because if it was all not fun, we wouldn't have stayed out so damn long. But when we first get here, sometimes there ain't nothing funny. I, be, I bet it was three months before anything was funny to me. <laughs> anyway, you too, huh? There ain't nothing funny, right? Anyone, right? So we're, supposed to, we're not supposed to try and cheer them up. We're supposed to meet them where they are, because the one I serve meets us where we are. Right? So I'm going to have to pay attention to the spirit, not the senses, right? The vital sixth sense. All right. So when he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. So let's talk about that. How baffled were you when you started suspecting you might be that addict, that alcoholic? Come on, some of you had them in your family, and you knew what they looked like. They looked like mom. They looked like my brother. They looked like my uncle. Right? They don't look like me, because I'm not that bad yet. Anyone know what I And some of you started to suspect it longer. How many of you would suspect it and then just go get high so you wouldn't have to think about it? So I, all I'm trying to do is compare notes of how baffled we were and how we finally learned that we were sick. I don't learn that I'm sick till I encounter someone properly armed with the facts about themselves. I didn't learn I was sick in detox. You know when I learned how sick I was? When I started trying to help others. That's when I learned what my old ideas were. That's when I learned how insane I had been. Because I experienced powerlessness in a palpable way with my powerlessness to stop them from destroying their lives, though I desperately wanted to with my newfound discovery. But I was not empowered to do that. They taught me of powerlessness, the ones that died. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, so give them an account of the struggles you made to stop. How many of you made struggles to stop? How many of you don't think of anything you did as struggles to stop? I've sat with people that I took through the steps and well, I've never made any struggles to stop. I go, okay, then we're done. You need to go make some struggles. <laughs> and they, wait, wait. Well, maybe when I went to 
rehab when I was 16. I go, dude, you're 30 fucking four. You've been going to rehab since you were 16? Yeah, but I never took it serious. Some people would consider that a struggle to stop. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I've really met these people. I've had these conversations. I are these people. Okay. Um, so it says, give him an account of the struggles you made to stop and show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we've done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he's alcoholic, he'll understand you at once. He'll match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. So let's test the theory. Let's go fishing. They tell a story about Jim, the car guy. Any of you familiar with Jim, the car guy? Those of you who are not book readers may not be, but Jim, the car guy, used to own the dealership. But he lost it through drinking. And he was forced to go to work for the dealership he once owned. And they recount that on his way to work, he was a little irritated. How many of you have found yourself back, trying to get your life back, and found yourself in a job that was of lesser stature than you once held. Did you find yourself a little irritated from time to time? So, so, so Jim gets to work, he's a little irritated, and he has a few words with the boss, but nothing serious, he recounts. How many of you have gotten to work and had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious? We're speaking from our perspective, not the boss's perspective, probably, right? So after he has these words with the boss, Jim decides that although he's at the car dealership where people come to buy cars, he's going to go out in the woods looking for people who want to buy cars who do not come to dealerships to get them. <laughs> See, we laugh at that. If you guys never worked at a dealership, that sounds ludicrous. But I'll tell you what, you come up with lots of reasons to leave dealerships. But how many of you were doing safe and sound with your sober living and all the things were going pretty good and you were doing so good you went down to the trap house just to show the fellows how good you were doing? <laughs> now it doesn't sound so ridiculous, does it? So on his way out to these woods where car buyers hang out, he passes a roadside place where, by the way, they have a bar. But he doesn't worry about that because, you know, he's been there many times and he don't pick up no matter what. Any of you ever heard that horse shit? Don't pick up no matter what? I pick up no matter what. That's why I call it. Anyway. anyway, he walks in. All is fine. Orders a sandwich and a glass of milk. And they recount that he had a bite of the sandwich. Maybe he ate the whole sandwich. Drank the milk. And the thought came to him, I'll order another sandwich and glass of milk, and it, that shot of whiskey came with that. It wouldn't hurt me on a full stomach. Hmm. Well, he did that, and the experiment went so well that he had another. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and another, and then another trip to the asylum for Jim. You'll notice that after another, they don't talk about any more sandwiches or milk. If you can relate to anybody lose your hunger once you had a shot. Okay. Okay, so that's, that's Jim, the car guy, another trip to the asylum. They talk about Fred. You guys remember Fred? He wasn't as bad as the rest of y'all. He, he, he heard what the AAs had to say. He goes, yeah, I, I ain't that bad yet. I just got a little nerves. So he had about 90 days sober, and he went on a business trip. And on his way through the hotel lobby, he stumbled into the bar and came to three days later in a cab. Because he had had this thought that a little highball with dinner wouldn't hurt. And any of you ever thought maybe a little cocaine holiday about Thanksgiving would be good? Did y'all miss Christmas? Things go better with coke. So... They talk about a jaywalker. Any of you relating to any of this? Okay, so if he's alcoholic, he'll understand you at once. He'll match your inconsistencies with some of his own. See how well that works with you? So those of you, if you were playing along, 
congratulations, you just caught alcoholism. <laughs> now, now you're reasonable. Now we, can, now we can move beyond. Okay. So if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So how would I be satisfied he's a real alcoholic? Remember, they mean the words they say. They say the words they mean. They wouldn't have said that specific thing had they not dis dif precisely defined it. So where did they talk to us about a real alcoholic? Page 21. So shall we go back and look? We almost have to now, don't we? We always want you to have your own book because it's a book of experience, and I don't want you taking my word for what it says because then you've given me the power to think for you, and I don't want you to do that to yourself. I want you to look at it, see if it makes sense. This should make sense. How are you going to move into a conscious relation with a power within you if it's not logical, if, it does, if you can't examine it with your senses, you can't, because you can't fully concede your own self based on a lie. So we're not trying to trick you. I'm going to lay out for you very clearly. If someone can't explain to you very clearly what you might want to do based on what they did and what they experienced as a result, they don't understand it well enough. Does it make sense? So let's go to page 21. And they're going to talk to us right in the middle of the page. Here's the fellow who's been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. See how that's in third person? Because they want me to see that guy outside of me before I find out it's me. They wrote the book this way on purpose. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. How many of you might not have used those words? but you've read them in the press reports about your escapades. <laughs> He's a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Any of you experience any personality change when drinking? Okay, that's a whole story about a bit of a personality change. He drank the potion and he became Mr. Hyde. Right? Okay. He's seldom mildly intoxicated. He's always more or less insanely drunk. Got to go to my drinkers again. Where's my drinkers? Any of you uh, thought maybe you weren't as drunk as... Any of you take a BAC and find out that you might have overshot the mark a little? Yeah, I've had them tell me that. Dude, you should be hospitalized. <laughs> Hence my arrival. Can you help me park? <laughs> None of you drove to the detox? Oh, come on. We, yeah, we definitely got to get you guys working. All right, so his disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. So I got to ask in a room like this, how many of you know your normal nature? One. And that's not, that's not unusual. Most of us, until someone helps us understand normal human nature have no idea what our normal nature is. We've been medicating our nature for so long that we don't know what normal is. We don't even know how to recognize it. So what had to be explained to me, maybe this will help you, I don't know, but normal human nature is more childlike than childish. So it's honest responses to stimuli, but childlike responses, like it's new, not like I've assigned a meaning, right? The old timers used to say it a little more graphically. They'd, they'd say, you, Joe, pole vault over mouse turds. <laughs> Any of you relate to that? Like big things I can walk through, but little things I can get a little animated about. So we're trying to, no, not you too, Tyler? Okay. Okay. All right, so his disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little he may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. How many of you have had that experience? How many of you learned it after some clean time, some sober time, and you took a drink and thinking, oh, I pulled that off, and thought no one would know. Maybe I didn't even get ripped the first time. I just had a few, and I went home. And I won't do that too often. Any of you relate? Are you following my storyline? Yes. And then pretty soon, you just fuck it, right? Yes. Okay. 
He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He's often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect, he's incredibly dishonest and selfish. So how many of you had pretty good work skills, a good work ethic, were competent, and you'd show up and you'd do whatever, and then all of a sudden something would go on, you'd either drink too late or used at work, or anyway, all of a sudden you were none of those things. So it had nothing to do with your work ethic or your skill set, and everything to do with those false idols that we acquire, right? Okay, so he often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes, and has a promising career ahead of him, and he uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself, and then pulls the whole structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. And we, we all can relate to that, especially in a place like this, right? Because no one knows the, sense, the total sense of loss that can come from any term of incarceration, other than people that have gone through that, right? So, okay, he's the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he, th he ought to sleep the clock around, yet early the next morning he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. Any of you drinkers? We did this once before. Were you hiders? Because uh, drinkers are usually hiders. You weren't a hider? Oh, good for you. You're just a drinker. <laughs> Dude, I'd hide it from me. I'd go on a three-day drive, and I'd have it hidden under the seats. Anyway, yeah, but I get it. I get it. Everyone had a different experience. All right, so I'm going to jump from there because uh, it's just going to go in and, in and more, more and more. But in the middle of that page, it says, why does he... Oh, I've got to jump from there back to 12. Sorry, I'm getting lost. I'm in a one, step one experience all of a sudden. So, so are we satisfied that we might be talking to a real alcoholic? Okay, so begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So what's the hopeless feature of the malady? Self-knowledge is not going to help me. The hopeless feature is self-knowledge is not going to I had much knowledge of myself as an addict, and that knowledge alone did not help me. I knew it was not safe to do even one. That knowledge did not stop me. I had a sincere desire to stop, could manifest no outward action to show it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So the queer condition surrounding the first drink, that's prior to taking it. The insanity of addiction occurs prior to the ingestion of the chemical, which is why the think it through and all those plans, while therapeutic tools don't work for the hopeless alcoholic. Play the tape. I used to hear that all the time. I played it. I've seen it. Full feature movie. I end up in a bush. <laughs> but it's not that bad yet. Um, and I'm poking fun only because it's so easy for someone like me to get misled. I need to see what they had to say, not, not listen to easier, softer ways. Make sense? Um, so it says, don't at this stage refer to this book. And... Unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it, be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. So we don't want to talk to them about the book. We are the book to them until they want to know more, and then we'll show them where we learned what we learned. We'll point them to the process that revealed the power in us that led us to them. Yeah? And otherwise, one of the things you'll learn is nobody can read this book till someone shows them how. Any of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, we think we've read the book, but until someone shows us all the stuff and helps us unpack it, we can't read this book because it's a book of experience, and there's so much depth in there, we don't even know what they're talking about until we're sharing with them an experience. I'm not telling them what they must do. I'm telling them what I found I had to do, what I experienced as a result. I can't do that unless I've had said experience. Um, and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he's not too alcoholic. See, none of us want to be told we're not addict enough. Okay. 
you ever been to the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, and started to hear the war stories get told? And first liar doesn't stand a chance, do they? There's always a better story. So no one wants to believe they're not addict enough until you go for their stash. Right? Insists if he's severely afflicted, there may be a little chance he can recover by himself. Why are we qualified to say that? Because I did not recover by myself. Because the main problem centered in my mind. And everywhere I went, there I was. And although I desperately wanted to stop doing what I was doing, I could not manifest any action to show I didn't want to do what I was doing. I did not go out again expecting a different result. I knew exactly what was going to happen. You know what I'm talking about? Because alcoholic insanity isn't doing the same thing expecting a different result. No matter how many times you hear it in the fellowship, they told you what it is. It's an appalling lack of perspective. The inability to think clearly. In spite of my lived experience of what's going to happen when I ingest that, I will do it again. And I don't expect a different result. This is going to suck. Watch. Bring a camera. This will be epic. Okay, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So what are the conditions of body and mind that accompany alcoholism, addiction? Craving and obsession. And it's not necessarily about chemical because that's a symptom. It's a control addiction. So I crave what I want and I obsess about how I think it would make me feel. It may just be how I want you to behave or speak towards me or feel towards me. I, I crave your attention and I'll obsess about how I think it'll make me feel and I'll get myself engaged in all kinds of inappropriate behavior to get it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. Talk about the condition of the body and mind which accompany you. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Why? Because I'm an expert in mine, I know nothing about his. I'm properly armed with the facts about me. I'm an expert in my own experience. I can share that competently. Yes? Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it'll serve some good purpose, but you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. Do you know the solution we offer? It's kind of, it, sometimes it's unfolding, but really the only solution any of us offer properly armed with the facts about ourselves is the power. The solution is not a process. That would be how. The solution is beyond how. The solution is who. And once you know who, you don't need to know how. Okay. So you'll soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. So how many of you had that revelation? Well, yeah, I do drinks a bit. I'm having trouble shooting smack like a gentleman. If his own doctor is willing to tell his, that he's an alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. Have you ever been in that place or had someone in that place where you've started comparing notes and they're leaning forward, they're like, you know they want to ask, right? Because they know that we know too much to have read about it. When I start describing the deplorable sense of waking up behind the dumpster and sitting in my own filth and knowing, regardless of that, i got to go out and get hooked up again because I'm going to be a lot sicker than I am now, soon. And you don't get to read those details, right? You've got to have had that experience of to talk to somebody with depth and weight, yes? So they'll know, and then they'll want to know, you know what I know, but you don't look like me, and now I want to know how, or why, or what, or who. Yes? So then it says, let him ask you that question if he will, 
And then it says in italics, tell him exactly what happened to you. Notice how it does not say, tell him what you did. I already told you exactly what happened to me. I just ended up in a detox one time. And I was sick, and it was one of many, many, many detoxes. Sick as hell, a guy walked in from a Cocaine Anonymous fellowship. And I was like, I don't like cocaine addicts. I think they're uppity. <laughs> but I had limited choices, being where I was. So, and since I was detoxing hard and shaking badly and had to wait for med time, so I went and sat in that meeting, and this guy came in and did in this book what I'm doing for you. And I'd never seen anyone done it, and I've never experienced anything like that. I couldn't tell you a thing he said, but I knew if I could stop him before he left that night, if I could ask him how he found out what he found out, that I would never be the same. Because what I didn't know is I would never be the same as a result of the encounter that probably happened before that preceded that interaction. But the fact of the matter is, this guy did his thing, and he stuck out his hand, and I said, man, I just need to talk to you. When I get out, would you let me do that? And I assumed I would just hear a no, stay away, sure, sure, all the crap I'd always heard. And he was friendly, and he said, absolutely. He says, you call me as soon as you get out, and we'll sit down that day. And he turned and started to walk out, and then he turned on his heels and he turned back and he goes, on second thought, you don't look very good. You better call me before you get out. <laughs> and I did. And I went through the step process in a day. And I was right. I've never been the same. It's been lots of years now. So um, Exactly what happened to me is that man told me that what was happening in me was the power we call God. And he told me that if I didn't go out and do what this book said, if I just went and sat in rooms and quoted this book, that I was probably going to die fairly soon. But he said, if you'll just go out and do what it says, you'll get free. And he said, how do you feel? And I said, I don't feel safe. And he said, if you do not feel safe, you are not safe. You better go make amends. So in that same day, I started making amends to family members. And, and I was working with people in this book within a week. And I was still shaking so bad, I probably scared the shit out of them. <laughs> but nonetheless, so stress the speech, spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic. He does not have to agree with your conception of God. Why? Because God's not a conception, and I'm not talking to you about conceptions. I'm talking to you about power to live that I just told you lifted me up. He, I was a dead man walking, and now I live. Right? That's not conceptual. Okay. So he can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. That's where we get crazy in the fellowship, and we hear, you know, we can have a group of drunks. Dude, we got precise instructions. Unless you swallowed those fucking drunks, that ain't it. It's deep down inside, every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. And that isn't my idea of God, that's God's idea for me. It's power and purpose within me. Don't get it twisted. And if I will look inside and find out who I am and whose I am, and then go out and tell everybody I encounter, I will walk in power, peace, happiness, in a sense of direction. Does that make sense? Okay. So the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived by spiritual principles. And the spiritual principles are contained in the original 12 steps. It's not the long list that Bill wrote later. It just isn't. That was 15 years later. They're contained in here. Walk consciously with God. Watch, ask, discuss, turn. Pray, meditate, pray. Pause when agitated or doubtful. Pray, meditate, pray. Yeah? Okay. So when dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There's no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. So that's not the same as not telling you the truth. 
We're going to tell you the truth, but we're not going to preach. Right? Oh. Okay, so I'm going to jump from there to page 94. And on page 94, it says, outline the program of action how, explaining how you made a self-appraisal. So these are the things I did. I made a self-appraisal. When do you imagine I did that? When I did a fourth step, I made a self-appraisal. How many of you had help with yours? Right? So I had some help with mine. They said, uh, how you straightened out your past. How did you straighten out your past? We're probably still doing it. If we were actually, like, this isn't a workbook exercise, it's a manner of living. And every soul I encounter, as long as I have breath in my lungs, my obligation to God is to advocate for my brother or sister. So it never ends. It's a never ending debt to share what has been freely given me. Yes? Um, and why I'm now endeavoring to be helpful to Him? Because I'm paying a debt that I can't pay. So that's just the way it is. It's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital role in your own recovery. How many of you have figured that out? I will always gain access to more power than I need when I offer it to another. In fact, in my serious delusions, when I turn my thought to another, a window opens into consciousness and I experience power. If we could go back and do your first step experience with you, I'll almost bet to a man or woman, we'll find a place in your story where all of a sudden, instead of thinking of you, you're in your depths and you thought of someone else. You might have thought of, I don't want my family to find me dead out here. You might have thought, oh, you know, I, can't, I can tell you with mine, I was laying on the floor, detoxing from opiates one more time. My parents had let me in. They were standing there, and I thought, oh, they're judging me. I'm trying to absorb cool from the floor, and it came to me, they're not judging me, they're freaking terrified of me. They're afraid their son's going to die on the floor in front of them, and they don't know what to do. And I just cried out, don't let me ever do this to these people again, and pow, a series of events happened, I've never been the same. And I, I bet to a person I'll find that experience in your experience. I don't know what it was, but somewhere you turned your thoughts to another, or you wouldn't be sitting here in a recovered state. Okay. Okay, so i got to do something here, because I'm going to run out of time. The guy's crazy when he starts going off. Okay, go to 96. There's a lot of jokes told in the fellowship about this page. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. How many of you, when you started working with others, had that experience? How many of you got discouraged anyway, even though you... None of them ever get sober. That's, we don't have the power to get anybody sober. We don't have the power to get us sober. But are you sober? So is your debt paid? Well, at least today's debt is, right? That's the whole deal. Did I pay my debt today? I got a daily reprieve. Okay. Um, search out another alcoholic and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. How many of you can remember finding somebody that had something you really needed to know about and you were accepting it with eagerness? Damn right, because I didn't have any more answers, right? I, don't even, I can't even understand what they're uttering, but I can feel what they're uttering. Um, all right, so... We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he'd continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. So I call to your attention, if you're newer to this book, they're talking to you about Bill Wilson, who is the author of the predominant share of this book. And if you think about it, his story, he talked about the first six that he worked with and had very little success. And then he went to Akron and he met Bob. And the many that have had an opportunity since that time are all the way to the present day. Because he quit chasing 
and started doing what God directed. Um, so I'm going to jump from there to page 97. They talked a little bit to us about not doing too much for the alcoholic, do enough. I mean, we, we give them respect, we meet their needs as we can, but we don't want to do everything for them because we don't want to put our work on a service plane, right? And I ask you, what does that mean? Well, if they think by calling you that all their needs get met, then they're never going to encounter God who meets all their needs. The only reason I can meet their needs is because God put them in my hand. At some point, I need you to have your own personal relationship with God. That's right. Yes? Okay. So, and that's not cruel, it's just real. Um, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assumed them. Now, they're assuming an awakening as a result of these steps. Remember at the end of step 11, we don't talk about God's will and my will, because God's will has no opposite. There's no God's will and my will. There's God's will and my disagreement with it. By 11, I'm awake. So it's just, your will be done. And now, there it is. So I'm going to get answers intuitively. How many of you have been working with people and had that happen? Knew right away. Of course you do. That's why we want to do it, right? Um, helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. So there's this, we just talked about this particular passage today. You do not want to build your foundation without stone, right? If you build in the sand without stone, the storms of life come and wash. How many of you have had a life like that where you didn't put the time into the foundation? Sure, all of us that have come from states of poverty, various types have had that happen more, and more than once, typically. So helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. Good Samaritan is obviously a reference to a story in that other text. The Good Samaritan is the unlikely one to help, right? The learned didn't help, the religious didn't help, but the Good Samaritan, who was not supposed to help, took pity on his brother, stopped, bandaged the wounds, put him on his own animal, took him to the inn, paid his tab, said, I'll be back in a few days to clear up the tab. We may have to do that every day if need be. Yes? Um, it may be in the loss of many nights' sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money or your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. How many of you have been to countless jails, asylums, and police courts? How many of you had people come visit you sometime that you didn't even know? They just came. They were paying that unending debt that you now have acquired. Make sense? So the big amends is not nine, it's 12, but I have to be fit enough in nine to be beyond judgment by 12, because I can't help people I'm judging. Make sense? Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. How many of you have had that happen? How many of you were drunk dialers? <laughs> I told you it was the big amends. If you've, if you've ever called and slobbered over them at 2 in the morning, you're probably going to get the same. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and minister sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. So in step three, they told me I had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what I needed if I kept close to him and performed his work well. That's what they promised me. By step 12, they're telling me my job description. So these are the 12-step promises. That's what I was told. Make sense? Okay, so we seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time. It's not good for him. It sometimes creates serious complications in a family. I'm going to jump from there to page 98. Those of you here, when we did a 10 and 11 a few weeks ago, we talked about it's learning, growing, and understanding of where and, where and how to give. If you, any of you are students of the book, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but we're now going to find out where and how or when and how to give, and they're going to answer the question in 12. They always have us move in faith in the earlier step because 
it's part of the process of moving in faith, right? And so the answers are going to come. See that to it that your relationship with him is right and great things will come to pass for you and countless others and we will surely meet some of you as we trudge the road of happy destiny. And as we sat here tonight and you related with them, we met them on that road of happy destiny, did we not? Because we shared an experience with them. Not the people in the room, the people in this book, recorded in these pages. Okay. Um, It's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. So, how are we going to know when and how to give? We're going to consult the Spirit. Right? I may not give them exactly what they asked for. I may give them precisely what they asked for. I may give them more than what they asked for. Right? And that's going to be between you and the spirit in you. Um, that often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job. How many of you had a job, got high? How many of you didn't have a job, got high? How many of you were married or in a relationship and got high? How many of you were out of a relationship and got high? So none of that shit matters. (laughs) Okay. So we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people instead of on God, right? If I'm looking for anything else for my ease and comfort, I'm out in the world of illusion. The whole point is we don't run around abstinent. We run around spiritually inebriated because I don't function in abstinence. I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. And I'm always looking for something to make me feel better. But what I learned as a hopeless addict because of AA is that there is ease and comfort accessible from within, if I honestly want it and I'm willing to make the effort. And even when I can't quiet myself enough, if I'll turn my thoughts to another and meet their needs, I'll find my needs are met. Yes? Okay. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. That's where they talk about the the message that can interest and hold these alcoholic types must have depth and weight. Burn into consciousness, which means you're going to feel it. You may not remember a thing that was said in that encounter, but you will remember how you felt in that encounter. And then we'll grow from there. Yes? The only condition that he trusts in God and clean house. I want to jump from there to... Hmm. Let's go to page 100. First paragraph... Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. How many of you have read that before or had someone show you that before and you were thinking about, well, that meant you always got to be working with a new one? So I've heard that taught. How many of you have discovered that there's a new man within you? That you, uh, you often find that you're Still thinking like you, but you're acting more like him. That's right. That's right. Amen. And I, I mean, it's not a sexist thing. Men and women both have the same experience. We're made new. There's, there's a new power in us, and we're empowered to act kinder than we feel like acting, yes? yes? Yeah, that's a power greater than us walking through. That's a tangible sensory experience. It's relevant to our lives, right? Um, If you persist, remarkable things will happen. Where are my people that are students of that other book? Signs and wonders follow us. And those of you that are here, follow us around. Be part of it. Signs and wonders follow us. The captives get set free. The the blind regain their sight. It happens here every day. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. How many of you got there? Let's talk to you guys that are residents here now. 
before you started engaging with us, did any of you think you were going to come to accommodation quite this comfortable? No way. No way. But somewhere you must have been following God because this was being prepared for you before you ever even knew to ask for it. Yeah. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you'll presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. I'm wanting you to understand something about that too. We, when we were getting ready to do this, we weren't trying to do anything like this. We were trying, had a church given to me and we were trying to get 20 beds in a freaking church. <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't get the zoning right. And Why? Because my plan was too small. I'll tell you another little story. When I saw the subject properties, when we decided we were going to buy a place bigger, I saw this on the list. It was the most expensive property on the list. I said, that's the one. And my partner said, why do you know that's the one? I said, because I built it in 1982. <laughs> All true. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving.